0: What a joy and privilege it is to yet once again be in the Lord's house. I hope you're excited to be in God's house. Amen. Amen. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. What a wonderful message that is. Well, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. so. Uh, I'm going to ask you to grab your copy of God's Word, and as you're doing that, let's just pray together. Father, how grateful we are to be called children of the Most High God. Thank you that you have loved us the way that you have loved us. You have protected us, you have provided for us, and you have granted us the privilege of gathering in this high holy place May we not take our gathering for granted, but with attitudes of gratitude and hearts filled with praise, we will worship you. So now, Lord, as we turn our attention toward your word, speak, Lord Jesus. Challenge us from your word. Convict us by your word. But ultimately, God, change us. Continue to shape and conform us into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ, that we might look more like him and less like the world. For his glory, we ask you for it all. And the people of God said, Amen. Well, 1 John chapter 4 is where I want to hang our hat. 1 John chapter 4, as we lift a new two-part series called Love Does... 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're at all physically able to do so as we read the Word of God together. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at the 7th verse. Hear ye the Word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. That is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I read in your hearing First John chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. In his 2012 best-selling book under this title Love Does, author Bob Goff raised an interesting argument that said love is not only the verbal proclamation of affection. He says, but the greatest display is love, is love in action. And the synopsis of this book is simply saying is that when you love somebody, love does. That it's not just this verbal declaration of loving and affection, but it is love in action. This word love has to be the most used and misused, and certainly misapplied words in probably all of the English language. We love everything. We love God. We love country. We love our church. We love our city. We love football. We love baseball, we love pizza, we love barbecue. It's comical, but we use this term love so frequently that I'm convinced there are many of us who don't truly understand in totality what love actually means. Because if we're not careful, we will think that the love that we read about in Scripture is equivalent to the same type of love we have in our everyday lives. And while psychologists and biblical scholars would say to us that there are seven or eight different types of love, the Bible often refers to four this is significant because if we don't truly understand the difference, we will mistake any and every expression of affection as love. And thereby ascribing to people who show affection, a people who are born of God and who knows God. So if we don't truly understand what the Bible means when it talks about the love of God, then we'll mistakenly apply everybody who gives these verbal and uh, uh, these verbal and even demonstrative expressions of affection to us, we will say to them they are loving and because they are loving, they must be born of God. So when the Bible says that God is love, it is important to understand the difference. So let me just unpack these four demonstrations of love. They're unique. These four unique forms of love found in the Bible, they are communicated through the Greek words, Eros, the first one is Eros, Eros which refers to that sensual or romantic kind of love. The term is originated from the mythical Greek god uh, uh, connected to romantic love. The term originated based on love or sexual desire, physical attraction or physical love, Eros. Eros. Its symbol is Cupid. We just came out of Valentine's Day and and it is this demonstration of this kind of erotic kind of love. The love between a man and a woman. Now, biblically, this type of love is only permitted within the bonds of holy matrimony. Amen. Amen. But it doesn't stop there because there's also this second kind of love that is called storge. It's best described as a family love. It is the affectionate bond that develops naturally between parents and children and brothers and sisters. That we love our families, but that's a different kind of love than the romantic kind of love that. Produces our families. In fact, there is this unique compound word in Romans chapter twelve, verse ten, called philostorge, uh, uh, which simply means it is this admonition, this command between believers to be devoted to one another and to show brotherly love or brotherly affection one to another. I think it's important that we understand the difference between these different displays and descriptions of what love is. The third term is phileo, phileo. It is that brotherly or sisterly love. It is love expressed through friendship and human kindness. It is care and respect and compassion for people in need. It is the love that unites us as believers. It is this word where Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love gets its name. It is this brotherly affection, one for another. But when God, when when referencing, I'm sorry, when referencing to God's love, the word that we use is agape. Now, agape is the highest of the four types of love in the Bible. This term defines God's love, this immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. It is that kind of love that you and I are commanded most of the time to display. Why? Because that is the kind of love that we have received. Now, Jesus is the personification of God's love, that when you think of God's love, and if you put a face to what God's love looks like, it is Jesus. He is the personification of God's love. And so if we're truly going to understand some attributes about God's love, it's important for us to recognize what did love do? What did Jesus do? The first thing that Jesus did is he submitted to the will of the Father. There are many things that Jesus did, but for the sake of time and our time this morning, four things that Jesus did, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. In fact, in John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, I have come down out of heaven not to do my own will, but the will of he who sent me. Jesus submitted himself. You will recall in Luke chapter 22 in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was agonizing on his way to Calvary and three different times he went and he prayed to God asking God to remove from the him this cup of suffering this cup of pain this this this, 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 thing, this thing called Calvary that I know I've been sent here to do. Father, if it be your will, remove it from me. But each of those three prayers, Jesus ended it by saying, not my will, but your will be done. In essence, Jesus demonstrated his love for God in the way that he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And likewise, you and I, the way that we show our love to God is the way that we submit our will to his will. Because in submitting our will to God's will, literally what we are recognizing is that he is God and I am not. And at the end of the matter, it is simply this recognition of being able to declare it's not about me. Now, there are many of us who really think it's about us. But if we're truly going to submit ourselves, which literally means I'm falling in line under the will of God. I am submitting myself. It is a willing decision that I make. I place my submission under the will of God. Which means that I no longer seek my will, I seek God's will. And so what Jesus did is Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. Can I ask you a question? Is your will submitted to the will of the Father? Or is it really all about you? What you like, what you don't like, what you want to do, what you don't want to do. If we're going to really be the people of God, we have to begin to surrender our will to a greater will. Doesn't mean that we don't have desires. It doesn't mean that we don't have preferences and things that we like. We like what we like. But at the end of the day, it's recognizing that even though I have my desires, even though I have my preferences, even though I like what I like, it's really not about me. And it really ain't about you. So Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. Second thing that Jesus did is he sacrificed for the glory of the Father. The greatest demonstration of the sacrifice that Jesus made was demonstrated in John chapter 19 when Jesus hung on the cross. And from that final cry from the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. It is this final declaration of sacrifice that Jesus says, I have come and I have accomplished the will that you have sent me to accomplish, and I can stand before you as my Father and say to you, I have accomplished it. I have sacrificed the greatest sacrifice that I have, and that is that I lay down my life for the sins of mankind. Amen. Amen. Because if we can't get excited about that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that he was, Jesus Christ, was the only sufficient sacrifice. 1 John, the text that I read and we read this morning, says that Jesus Christ was the propitiation. That long, long word, what does it mean? It literally means that he was the only sacrifice sufficient for the sins of mankind. It's a song I, that we used to sing growing up. It says, "I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why Jesus cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life." Oh, but I'm glad. So glad he did. He left his mighty throne in glory to bring to us a redemption story. Then he died, but he rose again just for me. Oh, and I'm glad. So glad that he did. Jesus came as a sacrificial offering. He came to sacrifice his life for the sins of mankind. He submitted his will. He sacrificed for the glory of God. Jesus made it clear that his only purpose was to bring glory to God. Can I ask you another question? Is the purpose of your life to bring God glory? I was once asked a question, and the question was simple. The question simply said, if your failure brought God glory, would you be willing to fail if God got the glory out of your failure? Now, the simple answer was, of course I'd be willing to fail so that God could be glory, but that goes against everything in my being because everything in my being wants to succeed. But the question cut me to the core because it forced me to ask myself, am I really living my life? Am I really doing what I'm doing for God's glory or am I doing it for my own glory? And I'll be honest with you. I didn't like the answer that I gave. Because while I was verbally saying, yes, I'd be willing to to fail if it brought God glory, everything in my body said, but wait a minute. You don't want to fail. And what God did is he forced me to begin to ask myself, is this really about you? Or is this really about me? Because if I can receive glory by your failure, you ought to be willing to fail for me. And so I just need to ask a question just need to ask a question because I believe that we need to begin to ask ourselves individually and collectively, do we really want God to be glorified or do we just want ourselves to be glorified? And the only way to give God glory is to submit to his will, to discover what God's will is and to walk in obedience to God's will. So Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. He sacrificed for the glory of God. But what I like about the text as it relates to what Jesus did, Jesus was a servant to all. In fact, Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, he says to his disciples, Whoever desires to be first shall be servant to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ was a servant. You recall John chapter 13, when the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest among them, this was in the upper room, and then just before Jesus gave the last supper, or just after the last supper, your Bible says Jesus then rose from the table took a towel and girded himself and poured water into the basin and stooped down and began to wash his disciples' feet. He modeled for them what it means to be a servant. And after he washed their feet, he said, now go and do likewise. Listen, my friends, we have been called to be Servants. There are a lot of us running around claiming that one day we want to hear Jesus, we want to hear God say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Don't we? The only way you'll ever hear that declaration is first, you got to be a servant. You've got to be a servant that does well. A servant that obeys the will of the father. You know if you have a servant's heart by the way you respond when people treat you like a servant. Nobody wants to serve, but we want to be served. We want the choir to sing us happy. We want everything to be catered to our needs, our desires, our wants. We don't want to sacrifice, and we sure don't want to serve. In fact, we have even learned how to outsource our serving. Let's hire somebody else to do it. And yet Jesus reminds us that he came as a servant to all, and likewise, we have a responsibility to be servants to all. Philippians 2, 5-9 says it like this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and becoming... And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, here it is, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those of things in heaven and those things on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, my friends, Jesus has the greatest name, but Jesus was a servant. I've already asked you two questions. Let me ask you a third. Are you serving anybody? Or are you expecting everybody to serve you? Jesus submitted, Jesus sacrificed, Jesus served. Who are you serving? And sometimes even when we do serve, we have ulterior motives for serving. My father taught me early in life that your motives matter. That it's not just what you do, but why do you do what you do? If you're doing what you're doing because you want pats on the back or you're doing what you do because you like the praises of men, you do what you do seeking the positions that men give you or you do what you do because of the paycheck that folk will give you. Listen, that is the wrong motives. We do what we do because what we do brings glory to God. got to get on out of here. But Jesus submitted, Jesus sacrificed, Jesus served. But what I like most about what Jesus did is Jesus saved us from the wrath of God. Jesus saved us from the wrath of the Father. Now, the many of us who think that Jesus came to save us from the devil— Jesus didn't come to save us from the devil. The devil is already a defeated foe. Jesus came to save us from our sins. So God is holy, God is righteous, God is loving, but God is also just, which means that God must punish sin. And all of us have within us this nature of sin, this rebellion, this opposition, this disobedience that is an offense to this holy, righteous God. So God in his love for us sent his son Jesus Christ who came as the offering, the sacrificial offering for my sins. He came to die. Because he was the only sufficient sacrifice that was capable of paying the price for my sins. He came to save us from the wrath of God. This God who has to punish sin. Somebody's got to pay for your sins. Either you by faith can have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and allow him to pay for your sins or you've got to pay for your own sin. Jesus Christ, when he came, he came the first time. We celebrated through Christmas when Jesus Christ came to save us from the power and the penalty of sin. And we eagerly anticipate the second coming. The second coming when he will deliver us from the presence of sin. Isaiah 53, 6 says it like this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own ways and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. In essence, what God did is he placed all of our sins on Jesus. He took our place. I know that don't excite y'all. But he took my place. It should have been me. It would have been me. It could have been me. Oh, but Jesus Christ died in my place so God demonstrated his love toward us God proved his love for us Jesus Christ proved his love for us and we have a responsibility not to be those who are running around proclaiming and declaring our love for one another but in showing our love for one another. Because love is not about how much you say I love you, but about how much effort you put into proving that it's true. So let's be people who show and share the love of Jesus Christ every where we go. Why? Because love does. Love doesn't just talk about it. Love does things. Love proves that it's love. And we've got to learn to prove that we love God, that we love one another, and that we love people who are far from God. Because when we do that, it will then be said of us, they are a church that's in the city for the city, for the glory of God. May that be said of us, Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The ministry team is now moving back into place. If you're here today and you know that you have never experienced this love because you have never experienced Jesus, you can never truly understand the totality of God's love for us without experiencing Jesus because Jesus Christ is the personification of God's love toward us. And that the love that God has displayed toward us is available through Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let me invite you to come and make the most important decision in your life. As these men and women are coming, they love to pray with you, to encourage you, to help you make these the most important decision of your life. Maybe you don't feel comfortable coming forward. Then please, when you walk out these doors, stop at the connection point. There'll be, I mean, connection booth. There'll be people back there who would love to talk with you about how you might walk with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're just saying, listen, I know I need to do business with God at the altar. The altar is always available you're free to come and to do business with God. If you know there's some areas of your life where you've been walking in disobedience to God and God is saying there's some stuff, there's some business you need to deal with me on, we invite you to come. The altar is available. Maybe you're looking for a church home and God is placing upon your heart this place to connect with that you might grow in your faith. Whatever God has so said to you, Now is the time to respond as we stand all over the building.